Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good day, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I'm in the presence of a very special guest. His name is Vinay Oriconde, and he's an attorney and an activist from Australia. And he's here to talk to us about ranked choice voting. Uh, this is episode 22, and we have so much in store for the forum. And he has to tell us a lot about his organization, Ranked to Vote, as well. He's an organizer for that um, particular organization, and I want to hear more about that. And just really the contrast between Australia's voting system and the U.S. voting system, I think my audience will get a lot of benefit from seeing some of the similarities and maybe differences. And maybe we can piece things together to make us have a more effective democracy. I hate using that word, but we will talk maybe about that some too. Welcome to the show, Vinay, and I appreciate you accepting that invitation. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I didn't want to go too much into your background because I want the audience to kind of get to know you because you are from Australia. And um, tell us kind of how you grew up in Australia and um, your education and what got you into the political sphere. Yeah, okay. So that's um so my parents are actually from India originally and they they moved to Australia in the late 70s. Um and it was an interesting time to move to Australia because um I don't know if you, you, your audience knows but we had this thing called the white Australia policy. It was pretty n- nakedly racist uh, in its immigration policy right until the late 70s where um and I mean I think Earlier on, it was just openly like, you know, we're only letting people from Europe immigrate here. Then later it became more about using tricky language tests and things like that. But eventually it was, everyone knew what it was for. Um, And then in the mid seventies, that policy was repealed um, by a progressive government. Um, And so, and in the, my parents came not long after that. And um, they were in England before that and before that, India. So my dad, my dad did his um, like ophthalmology uh, in in the UK um, and then they found it too cold and they decided they were either going to move <laughs> here. They were either going to move here, which I don't know if maybe been slightly better if they'd moved to the south. But um, but then an opportunity came up in Australia. So they went to Australia um, and the yeah, it's, I mean, I. You know, it's it was a good safe. It's a, it's a good safe. Like every impression that Americans tend to have of Australia, um, except for you know the dangerous animals thing. Like that's that's <laughs> a, you have to get out of the cities. I mean, there is a lot of wildlife. There's no doubt, but you have to get out of the cities. It's actually the cities are in. It's an incredibly urban environment. Like where most people live in Australia is heavily urbanized, much more than the US. The US is actually much more spread out. Like you know, you've got big cities, but it's there's a lot of people living in the middle too right australia it's like 90 percent, 95 percent plus of the population lives in five cities um 
which do not have a lot of wildlife in them. So, so a lot of a lot of the memes we see online are like that's as much of a mystery to you know when we see like strange animals online from Australia, that's crazy for us too. Mm-hmm. You know? So, but um, but you know, generally politically, it's a very stable country, almost too stable. In fact, I'd say it's it has the opposite problem to the US in that it's. Um, um, the US is too high energy politically. Like that's why it's supercharged and polarized. And, you know, right now people are tearing it, like the country's almost ripping itself apart over politics. Whereas in Australia, there's almost like a complete lack of political energy and all the problems that come with that. It hasn't always been like that, um, but we can get to why that's a cause if you're interested. Um, But it's like, often people are politically complacent. They're happy to let things be as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, problems come up. You know, like, for example, it's not known that our local councils are amongst the most corrupt in the Western world because people just don't pay attention to local politics at all. And so, you know, developers just get in and just start funding <laughs> campaigns. And so, um, and you know, the Australian government has historically and even more recently committed some serious human rights abuses against Indigenous people and against uh, refugees. But the, the thing is that they do it out of out of people's eyes. Like they either do in the middle of the country somewhere um, against Indigenous people or they will have an offshore processing place for refugees. And, and as I said, Australia, because it's such a big country and there's so few people, and there's this complacency what you get is this out of sight out of mind attitude um and you know and that's how those abuses go and, and like what and i think the country when when you people become aware and when they wake up to problems they really jump on board but it can take a while to get there it can take a while to get there yeah it's interesting some of the stuff you said i was thinking about the out of sight out of mind that happens a lot here too especially with um and that's the reason why because i'd say for the last 15 years i've kind of disassociated myself with um both parties but i grew up being like a pretty um liberal person and i know liberal has a completely different meaning in australia (laughs) because liberal actually means conservative i think in australia right um i think most people these days will understand the term in the American sense, because we we say we actually have a phrase we say capital L liberal or small L liberal because capital L liberal refers to the political party, and that's a, the Conservative Party, right? Oh, okay. Uh, because they were formed, they were free market liberals, you know, and then they teamed up with the Social Conservatives, and that's how they became a Conservative Party, and oh, they're quite okay. yeah. So that that's how it happened. Right. And there's a similar genesis to conservative parties here. Right. Like, um, but it's, um, I think that it's, yeah. But we said when we, if you say small L liberal, everyone will understand the American sense of the term. Yeah. So when we have, just like we have Biden in now, and there's actually been more um, arrests and detainees when it comes to the border and ICE which was something formed by George Bush, the administration. And now that administration is almost viewed favorably by the people who support Biden, because uh, my whole theory is that both parties are the same party anyway in the United States, because the power is so consolidated that really both 
teams need each other. So it really just becomes one big club and everyone else is ostracized from the club. But and then you have you had all the attention about the border when Trump was in, but people are being locked up and their families have been separated at the border. Now no one talks about it. And that's a dangerous thing because of the complacency aspect you talked about. The energy gets so high, but then it also gets very low, depending on the political cycle. But I had a question about what you said with the complacency of the people in Australia. What's the political population um, when you talk about participation there? Are we talking about high percentages of everyone voting? What's that? We have, com we have compulsory voting. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's still not 100%. But um, some because the, the way it works is that when you turn 18, you're meant to register to vote. Um, some people just don't ever register like and i don't think that um i don't know if there's a penalty if you don't register but they just they just just never register it and that's but if you do and you don't vote you're supposed to get fined and some people do but it's it's a relatively small fine it's like um and then some people just take it some people just take the fine like a hundred dollars fifty to hundred dollars or something like that um and they, it's not always enforced properly having said that our voting rate is like 92%. I think in recent years it's slipped to about 88%, but it's still extremely high. Mm -hmm. um, and that having compulsory voting changes the dynamic considerably. Um, one of the big changes that comes from it, and it's, I think it, it does have a stabilizing force, but not necessarily in a good way, because you often have people who are just politically apathetic, who just, they're just there because they have to be there. They'll vote the way their families voted just because, you know. Um, and we'll we'll talk about how ranked choice voting works there. And there's this thing called how to vote cards. Often the the marketing on the day will determine how people vote. Right. So <laughs> there, there are people standing outside the vote. It, it, I know here you can't take the material into voting booths. There you can. Like, you know, you'll hand these, put these cards in people's hands and which say suggest vote for us. And people will up to 40% of people will make their minds up on the day. So there's this rush to get like these materials into people's hands before they walk into the booth. So I, I, and I don't, so I don't, I don't know if I'm sold on compulsory voting being a good thing. Um, and it just wouldn't work in a country this size. It just, so I, it's not a, something I'd recommend or is even plausible here. Well, we have here a problem with, um, and I don't even know if it's a problem. I, I, I'll have to say that because I'm, I'm pretty apathetic about the electoral system. I'm almost at a point where direct action, I focus more on that stuff and social issues outside of the electoral system. But we have maybe half the country that don't vote in the United States. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that can be for socioeconomic reasons. I think a lot of it is a class struggle issue. And some people are just, they feel they're so disenfranchised as it is. What's the point of going in and voting? You know, what's the point of me going in and and pushing a single vote for a candidate, you know, is that going to really change my tangible um, everyday life? And that's a huge concern. So I definitely see the benefits of compulsory voting. But at the same time, there's probably not a perfect system. But we definitely have an apathetic issue in the United States. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the revolving door of the D and the R every single election cycle, even at the local levels. We have a serious problem where you can't even be an independent and be seriously taken 
from the people around you because they don't even know who the people are. There's no visibility yeah. aspect to it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, have, a, I have a theory on to like, like obviously, you know, I'm here because I believe in voting reform, but I know it's not the only answer. I know it's not the only answer, definitely not. And it's it's part of a wider system of answers. And if we go really, really big picture for a moment about like my theories as to the cause of the disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement is that I think the US as a country is is so steeped in individualism. It's that what's happened is that it's cut off a vital um, connection between people on the ground and and their election system. And that's that's groups, communities, right? Because so it's, if you're like one of 300 million people, right, by itself, of course you're going to feel your vote doesn't count, right? Or if you're in a state that's all blue or all red. But if you're part of a very active political community, then you can see that bigger picture, right? But this, the country has been very good at destroying most senses of community, right? So I think that the, the key to repairing the um, election system, along with sensible reforms like ranked choice voting, which we'll get to, which unrig the system, is to also rebuild really, really strong communities, which will get the message to people so that they're not just reliant on, you know, media, right? If you, if you think about it as a, um, like, almost as a diagram, if you have, like, many, many millions of individuals that aren't talking to each other, then whoever has the loudest megaphone is going to reach the most number of people, right? So that's why the, you know, the corporate media is so powerful in this country is because we're not connected to each other, right? So... Community is the key. It's how it's how we fight back. And it's also how we achieve changes like ranked choice voting, incidentally. So that's I'm here to advocate not only just for an election reform, I'm also here to advocate for the method of getting there and for repairing the country more generally, both politically and in general, and that is rebuilding communities. I like that. I really do love the way you place that um, into the conversation. Uh, I definitely believe that we we've lost a sense of community and there's a fragmentation that has been deliberate because um, when you have such a limitation of options or at least a perception of a limitation of options, um, you tend to vote against your interest of your community. And there's so much of a focus on um, presidency. There's not much focus on the local level. And even myself, I mean, following politics so long, that local level has to be well, we have to be educated that that local level connects to to the to the larger system. And I don't think we really taught that we're sort of brainwashed and propagandized into thinking that the two year and the four year cycle is the biggest, most important part of the electoral system. When what you're saying is, no, we need to have a community conscious effort to to even starting from the local level, showing how these issues impact our communities before we even talk about the bigger picture but i well, let's to... no, go go ahead uh, okay just just to quickly i, I want to say that the moving forward I think the local and the state are more important than the national right because i think it's pretty clear from national politics that we're just going to enter a period where very little is going to happen right like nothing, not a, a whole lot has happened for a while right you know you can get something i mean things get passed sometimes you know but 
split Congress, nothing is going to happen, <laughs> right? And so if we start from the assumption that federal politics is going to be, nothing's going to happen for a while, then we need to start thinking, well, if we want to achieve anything, then we need to start thinking state and local, right? Um, and we can't wait. We can't wait for um, for the federal because it's not going to happen at this point, right? So, you know, if we, whatever our issue is, whether we're on the right, whether we're on the left, whatever we want our utopia to look like, we should start developing leaders, building communities and making it happen, right? So that's 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 kind of where I'm at. But yeah, sorry, continue. No, no, I love that, um, that you added on to that because I was going to go into more Australia. I want the audience to kind of get that um, sense of what's happening there like what kind of a government do you even have in Australia and how do how many political parties are there for instance sure so we have um currently I think there's 42 registered federally 42? registered yeah <laughs> having said that there's not you know most of them are not don't have a representative right in parliament um but there there's a few reasons why we have so many um well, actually, how many? I think there's at least six or seven that have representation in Parliament, which is still, you know, a huge step up from here, right? <laughs> um, so, but the the reason we have 42 is, is there's a couple of reasons for that, is that one, it's relatively easy to register a federal party. Um, it, it used to be even easier. All you needed was 500 members and $500, right? <laughs> so it was, it was super easy, right? Um, but now they've made it a little bit, they've tripled it. It's 1500 members and $500. So, um, and you, you, you also get audited every couple of years to make sure you have the um, requisite number of members. Um, but the other reason that we have, um, so many parties is because there's a, there's a point we have ranked choice voting, right. And it, it totally changes the game. It makes it possible for small parties to get elected and they re and independence. And they regularly are, right? So our in our Senate, like we've, for the longest time, our Senate, we've had many, many independents and, and third parties. Often the balance of power, you know, is controlled by a minor party, right? It's it's frequent in our Senate is that the, um, that the deciding votes will belong to some small party. So yeah. they'll have to be negotiated. Recently, the it's a little bit harder than the, and I can get into the way our Senate is set up, uh, if if we you know get into it. But the way our Senate is set up, the voting system we use, that's a little bit different. It's still a kind of a ranked choice voting, but it's an even better form. Makes it easier for small parties to get elected. Um, in our our lower house, um, it's uh, we we also use ranked choice voting, but a different system. It's not quite as easy. Um, so, but the dissatisfaction with our two largest parties has gotten so so much that a lot more small parties have started winning in the lower house as well. And I think we have now, it's 15 out of 150 seats in our lower house. Uh, well, maybe it's 17. It's, it's you know, so at least 10% of our lower house is run by an independent or, or a smaller party. Um, and most of that actually happened in the last election, right? In one election, I think like nine, nine or 10 seats from the major parties were wiped out and given to an independent or smaller party. But ultimately, all of this goes back to ranked choice voting. Um, mm. Yeah. So 
So when you say ranked choice voting, I've heard this uh, for years, and it sounds like a great solution to transition us into a new era, but it's almost like the system here was never set up for ranked choice voting to be a possibility. Like, that's the way it seems to me. Just you have the, the Federal Election Commission, which is run by Democrats and Republicans. Like, it's like all the main corpuses are ran by the quote-unquote the two parties. So how how do we... What else will we need to do? And we will get into the ranked choice votings and the different types of systems. But what would need to be in place for ranked choice voting to be more effective, you think, like immediately? Do you mean in, in Australia or here? In the United States. Okay. So I think just before we get into that, is it okay if I just give your audience just a quick explanation of what it is? Sure, sure. Definitely. Yeah. So... Right now in the US, um, your system of voting is, it's called first past the post. But what that means is that you go in, you vote for one person, right? On you, you've got a ballot, you might have 10 people on your ballot. You, you go in, you just tick someone and whoever gets the most number of votes wins the election. Let's say if you had, you know, you had 10, you have lots of candidates, the, the person who gets the most number of votes might only have like 30% of support, like, only 30% of people voted for them. That's not a majority at all, is it, really? Like, that's uh, it's not very representative of, of what the electorate wants. So someone who won, and that's why you've got this concept of splitting the vote here, right? And people here, as a, as a result, are you going to vote for a smaller party here or an independent? Probably not, because if you're afraid of the other major party, you're going to vote, say, well, you know, I really like this independent. I really like them, but let's let's say you're conservative, right? You really like this independent, um, you know, but you don't like the Democrats at all, right? So you say, well, <laughs> I don't want I don't want to help the Democrats. So if I vote for this independent, I'll be helping the Democrats. I'm going to vote for this Republican who I don't like that much, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's what happens under this system over time, and because that's why you've got your two parties which have so much strength. And so um, that's what what in Australia we do. Is we've got this system called ranked choice voting, where you can say, okay, um, I if the conservative person could say, I really like this independent, right? So I'm going to put one for them. But I also then if the that independent doesn't win, I want my vote to go to the, uh, another independent, for example. Okay, they could put a two for them. Then the th- who's my third choice? The Republican. Okay, so I'll put a three for the Republican. And what happens is that if your candidate, your first choice doesn't win, your vote will go to the second. If your second doesn't win, it goes to the third and so forth as far down as you ranked, right? So mm-hmm. the idea is that you can't waste your vote. Mm-hmm. Cannot waste your vote. And suddenly people feel free to vote for whoever they want, right? They don't have to, and it increases voter choice. And this is why we have so many parties um, in Australia um, and why a lot of them do well. We still do have two major parties that do very well. And, and that's fine because they've done in Australia, I'd say that they represent major interests in, in our society in Australia. So, um, and that, that's fine. That's a good thing, right? If a, like political organization is a good thing. Um, but right now the system is, is rigged in a way so that you can't, you know, so they can't change out of the status quo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Well, it's definitely rigged. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so to to yeah, I just want to answer your yeah, original question. Okay. So, in Australia, we didn't act. We also used to have first past the post as well, right? So it can a system can change out of first past the post into a ranked choice system. What happened was that we had a this was we've had it
I wanted to get to, um, are there different types of ranked choice voting systems? Because I've seen a lot of chatter about this. Like, what does ranked choice voting mean? Is that like a, a general term that represents multiple types of ranked choice voting systems? There are. There's at least, um, there's, there's quite a few. I've said the three most important versions. There's, there's three of them, right? Um, and yeah, there, I'd say there's, there's three that um, we should consider. One is the called proportional representation, which is used in the Australian Senate um, and in a couple of other lower, some of the state lower houses. And the Fair Vote, who's the leading kind of think tank around ranked choice voting, they strongly advocate for proportional representation. It is the best system. Um, there's also what's um, versions like a version for called single member districts, which is where, um, I, I unless you want me to go into, it can get a bit technical here. I don't know if you want me to go into that. That's but, fine. That's fine. Okay. Okay. So let me. I'll, what I'll do is I'll explain each of each of the the systems. So we'll start with the the simplest one, which is called. Um, so right now you have one person representing one seat called single member districts, right? So, you know, like, like let's say certain people in a, in a particular geographic area, right? That geographic area will have one representative, right? Mm -hmm. That seems to make sense on, on some level. And that's what that's so single member district ranked choice voting is where like you would have like it's say in the primary say a democratic primary or a republican primary or libertarian primary the you would have a group of people wanting to be the candidate to run in that seat and then you'd have a ranked choice election to in the primary for each of those parties and then in the general election when you've got one candidate from each party or independence as well then you'd have ranked choice between them so you could rank rank them so that and then the, the yeah, so that's a single member district approach. Um, and that's what uh, the Australian lower house has. Um, now there's another approach called uh, that I mentioned before called proportional representation, which the Australian Senate uses. So um, think of it this way. Um, you can have, as I said, right, in single member districts, you've got, you know, for one geographic area, you have one representative. Now imagine okay. if you had a larger geographic area like and you just kind of combined that all into one and combined all of their their representatives so like um new york state for example mm -hmm. instead of like okay i'm a representative of new york three i'm a representative of new york four i'm a representative of new york five where if you just combine the the vote of everybody in the state and then you looked at the total number of votes and then gave to each party the number of the, of representatives based on how much they did. So let's say all of New York votes for like 10% of the vote goes to the Green Party, 20% goes to the Libertarian Party, um, you know, 20% goes to the Republican Party and 50% goes to the Democrats, hypothetical, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's how many seats they would get, that proportion of the seats so it's like the rep they're representing the whole area and they're getting it's like does does that make sense isn't that kind of what they do for the presidential elections here in the democratic primaries state by state is it kind of like that where they proportionalize the votes uh, some yeah I, within the electoral college yeah because they don't if if you don't if if they're not a winner take all state exactly right, then they 
um, then they'll give you a certain number of electors based on what percentage of of the vote you got. Mm, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Um, I, um, actually, it's been a while since I've looked at how the primaries are set up, but uh, so, some of them, I believe, are still winner-take-all states, or are they all? Almost all of them. I think only Maine, and you know how that you have that one district in Nebraska that uses. Like Omaha has its own system. That that's in the general election. I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. But you you mentioned the primaries. Yeah, the primaries. It may be different. Like states like New Hampshire may be different. But no, I'm not I, yeah, I think different. in the primaries, a lot of them now are proportional. So oh, if okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I should know this because I I worked in the primaries for like, but that was like three years ago. Um. So yeah, in 2020. So that. What they, they will do, I believe in a lot of the early states, is they'll in the Democratic primary specifically, is if you win 60% of the the votes, um, then you'll win 60% of the delegates. Um, and that so the proportional representation system is kind of based on the same principle, right? Except your instead of delegates, it's representatives, right? And so what and the reason that's good for not just small parties, but also minorities um, as well, is that because if you cut it up into smaller and smaller areas, one, you've got gerrymandering, which is a big problem, right? Like, so this kills gerrymandering immediately, right? It's not an mm-hmm. issue anymore. But second is that, like, let's say you have a substantial um, minority. Let's say you've got a big Latino population in an area, but the districts are shaped in such a way that the Latino population is, let, let's say they're, I don't know, like 40% of a state, right? But the districts are shaped in such a way that always a small minority within those districts. Then they'll they'll never properly, within those single member districts, they'll never be able to properly exp- have representation or expression. But within proportional, they if they're, you know, they'll get much better representation, mm-hmm. right? Because it's measured off their off the percentage of the whole area, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to give give an example, let's say in a particular state, um, Latinos are very geared towards a particular towards the Green Party, right? Just a particular state. Um, then, if if in single member districts, the like what will happen is that they, but there were the the Latinos are making up no more than like fifteen to twenty percent of that seat they may not be able to get that Green Party person elected, right? But if it's measured across the entire state, you get could get close to that full 40%. Let's say it's like, I don't know, 35% of the state are voting Green because, like, you know, most of them are Latino and they're supporting this Green candidate. Then they'll get all oh, the Green Party. Then you would get 35% of the, um, of the slate would go to the green green representatives so that's the proportional representation system and that's used in the senate of australia correct and some of the state houses as well yeah um do you have any questions on that otherwise i'll go to the third one no that sounds this is awesome no i think my audience can can follow along if i'm following along i think they are too no this is good 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 so the third system is, and this is developed in the US, and it's a uniquely American solution, um, is called Final Four or Final Five, and that's what they use in Alaska. Um, and it's to account for 
the the fact that primaries are a big thing here, right? And the reason why this system doesn't exist in Australia, we don't really have primaries. Of the parties have a lot of control in Australia over who their candidates are. Sometimes even the party members don't even have much control. It's really bad. That's why I, I think primaries are an excellent idea, right? So um, there's an idea called open primaries, um, which is in, included in this final five system. And open primaries are where, okay, instead of like, you know, everyone is just, we, you know, the Democrats are going to have their primary, the Republicans are going to have their primary, the Greens are going to have their primary, the Libertarians will have their primary, and independents are just kind of left out, right? <laughs> Which is, you know, that the idea is why do we combine them all into one primary? Like, why does that matter? Because in many states in this country, it's really almost one party rule, right? So it's, and, and as a result, it's the primary that matters. Okay, so um, it's not that the general election is almost like a ticking, a confirmation, right? So what an open primary does is that it, an open primary is a, a couple of, of things, is that it it sort of breaks the system open or changes the role the parties play in it. It's called a jungle primary as well. So you could have like 60 people, like I think in Alaska, they had 60 people run in the jungle primary. So everyone, Republicans, Democrats, independents, Greens, everybody, someone called Santa Claus. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Santa Claus actually came sixth as well. So he, he, he really did do out of 60, that's pretty good. Um, you yeah, know, and the, and instead of the parties being able to say, this is our candidate, people can say, I'm a Democrat or I'm, they can self-nominate which party. So the first thing it does is that parties don't have to, you don't have a problem of ballot access anymore. Like a lot of small parties struggle to get onto ballot access, meaning that they can't, you know, they can't get like thousands of signatures in order to get onto the ballot. And, you know, mm. that stops them in a lot of places. But what this does, this just gets rid of that whole thing. And people can say, I belong to this party and put, and that gets put on the ballot. Now that might be like, what if someone just says that they belong to the party that they, they don't, then, then it's up to the party itself to support and rally around a candidate or candidates and say, look, we don't like that person at all, but we really like these people. So let's say in Alaska, in that, you know, 60 people running and like, let's say of them, I don't know, 25 say they're Democrats, right? But the party doesn't really like, you know, most of them. They like three of them, okay? Then the, and in fact, and so let's say there's five of them that they think are like, straight up in opposition to their policies then then they'll say look we strongly do not support they may have democratic name, but we, we don't support them we support these three we're endorsing these three we're going to campaign for these three and so the the party's role shifts from control to influence right and i think that that's healthy i think that's healthy um and what happens is that in this, the jungle primary is still by the traditional voting system, um, the first past the post. So, and um, everyone just gets one vote. It's simple. And from there, the people who are the top four or the top five of that will advance to a general election. Mm -hmm. General election is a, a rank choice voting election. Okay. So, so rewind that back again. So you said it's just a single position 
after the primary is over before it uh, goes to the general? Uh, so, so in the primary, it's um, it's a it's so it's it's what it's everybody's running in one primary, mm -hmm. right? An open primary, so Democrats, and then the the people. It's you just get the normal voting style, the traditional voting style of like one person you just vote for one candidate, mm -hmm. right? The of the say sixty or however many there are, the top four or top five of those move from the primary to the general election. And that's ranked choice. That is ranked choice. Yeah. And you say previous to that, there's no ballot assets restrictions whatsoever to the pile of everyone in there together. Correct. Right? Correct. So wow. anyone can run. That's a massive change. Is that already baked into the system that's implemented? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, so there's a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of places that are considering yeah a lot yeah exactly right and you know, it's the part, like, you know, many people complain that it's very, like, you know, you have to network and make friends with all the right people in the parties in order to, to run and, you know, and unless you have that name attached, you can't do anything or you can't even run. This, this, this simplifies it a lot. So the final five system is a very good system, I think, as well. So, um, you know, so we, at, at Rank the Vote, we support anything which includes Rank Choice Votes and a proportional single member uh, final five, you know, if it whatever a locality wants to go with, we we will support that as long as it's a form of ranked choice voting. I had a couple of viewers and people who follow the show who they mentioned single transferable vote. Is that something that's already something that you covered, or is that a, a different type of ranked choice? Yeah, so no, no, that's the um. So what, that's what we have in Australia. It's like we, it, as also as a kind of proportional representation. It's also that's sort of the it's a term that's used here as well. A single term. It's actually a term that doesn't exist in Australia. We don't say STV. <laughs> so, um, and that's that's what you have within proportional systems. So, so for example, and the way the way it's it will often. And I'm still kind of getting my head around around this concept since it's an American concept, right? So, and, you know, I'd be interested if your viewers want to correct me on this, then feel free. <laughs> um, but my understanding is that it's within those proportional systems where you can, like, okay, I'm voting for, um, you know, if I put one for Labour, for example, um, in Australia, that's one of the parties, and then if um, the Labour candidates, you know, I uh, don't win, then my vote will transfer to my second choice, mark the greens, third, so forth. So it's it's a it's it is ranked choice, but within the a proportional system. Oh, I see. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so yeah. when so when people say ranked choice voting within the United States context, because I think there's 20 states that kind of use that system, right? Is um so there's Okay, so there's 62 municipalities which use it, which includes, on a statewide level, it's used in two places. So that's Maine and Alaska. But the rest are all cities, but including New York and San Francisco, Seattle now. Um, so some big cities are, are using it um, too. But on statewide, it's currently um, Maine and Alaska. Um, and Maine uses it for presidential as well, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, and so I guess my question now would be, how do we kind of um, 
is there anything that we have to do to get this uh, to make this a thing all across the country? Is it as simple as having like a ballot measure um, at the local level, and could that ballot measure automatically install rate towards voting for the state? Like, is that a possibility, or is that just wishful thinking? No, that's that's exactly what's been happening. So there's there's lots of different ways. So the first thing is that like. So fair vote, their um, their goal ultimately is the Fair Representation Act, which is um, on a federal level, we would have single transferable vote for all elections, right? So a piece of legislation. That's a long we 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 know that's a while, right? <laughs> um, so what we want to to do is um, work from the ground up. So that's why we're working on on cities and states to get it. Mm-hmm. So now. It very much depends on the local, on the local law with cities. So some in some cases you need for cities to do it. They have the power to just adopt it, right? The the city legislature can simply just adopt it by vote, right? Or there's the city council. Some cases the city will need to put it to a vote, right? To um, a, a vote. In some other cases, um, it can be initiated by citizens, right? Um, and some statewide level, you have the same dynamics. Same sometimes that they can state can simply pass legislation, and that's it. Sometimes it's required that it passes by legislation, right? Other places they'll um, have to have a ballot measure, and that can often be either in, in some places those ballot measures can be initiated by citizen signatories or by reference from the state, right? So there's many, many, and in other cases, and, and this is where it gets even more complicated, is that. For cities to have it, you need it's what's called a local options bill, where the the city the state has to pass a bill giving cities the choice to do it. Mm. Yeah, so there's a whole right. So really, if you want it, if you the but no one should get dissuaded because, like, in 2016, I think there were 10 municipalities that had it. Now we're at 62. Okay, wow. so the momentum is. Is extraordinary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like. I think for a while, like San Francisco was the first by a long way, as it often is, right? I think they had it like twenty years ago. Um, Burlington, Vermont, had it and then repealed it, but are now now have it again. Um, but as I said, the last couple of years it's just exploded. So my recommendation is that if you want to get involved, is find a state movement. I think there's only where it, this activity in. Um, all but five states. Um, so you, you can find your state movement at our website, which is rankthevote.us, and there's like a find your state movement, and that state movement will have, um, will be aware of how you can, like of, of what's needed in your state, right? Um, if you want to get it in your city, then your state movement will support you in getting it um, in your city. Um, and it, as I said, it will but they'll at very least be able to inform you on what the situation is in your state. Okay, do we need to get statewide legislation passed first? Do we need to initiate a ballot measure through signatures? You know, they'll, they'll let, be able to let you know on what measures are needed, but it really is dependent on, on your location. I have about three more questions before we conclude. Sure. And who knows, my three questions may end up being six, but... <laughs> That's okay. I, I was wondering, you said something about San Francisco earlier, mm-hmm. and... You're saying that the city of San Francisco already has a ranked choice voting um, apparatus in place. Mm-hmm. So how is it that 
Nancy Pelosi didn't have really any sort of um, opposition to her when she was running within that district, I think. She's out of San Francisco, I think. So how was she yeah. like uncontested, basically, all those years? So this is San, on the on the city level. So she's she's a, a federal representative. So okay. they only had it. They only had it on the city level. Mm. Um, yeah. So federally, um, the only places that yeah, it's only Maine and Alaska where you'll see con- people in Congress in federal Congress being affected by ranked choice voting currently. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it's because the. And this is why we 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 advocate the the city upward approach is because, like you know, people get worried as the, as the stakes start getting higher and higher, and you know, federal like we 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 just want to get people used to it by keeping it close first, right? So, mm-hmm. um, if there's anything that um we you know people, your viewers should take out of today is start at home, start local, um, whether it be for rank choice or more broadly for building communities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is how change will begin is right in your city and with your neighbors. I had a question that was kind of related to that one. So Gavin Newsom got recalled and he retained his governorship of California. Mm-hmm. Was that a ranked choice um, voting system or was that just the the traditional just select candidate? Correct. And I believe, I don't well, remember. But wasn't it thrown in the pile like all of the people? Like there was... There were lots of independents and bunch, a lot of third party people who were running against him. Um, you know, okay, you'll have to let me know here if there was, was there a was there a two parter, um, like as in should we recall him and then if we do recall him, um, who should replace him? That was my understanding, but I could be wrong on that. Wait, they they voted on it again, and he ended up, you know, winning it, you know, against. You know, oh yes, field. you're right. I think they did vote to recall him, and then he ran as a candidate and won again. He did, yeah. Yeah, okay. Larry Elder and all these Republicans, Independents, and there were Green Party people running. Okay, the okay, thank you. The same. It sounded kind of like what you were referring to earlier, with everyone sort of just piled in together. Yeah. So no, that's that's not because so the only um, statewide system that uses Final Five is Alaska, and and remember, as I said. California does not use it statewide, mm-hmm. right? So that was just a traditional first-past-the-post election um, where one person will go in, vote for one candidate, and leave the leave the ballot box. Um, you know, your results would change potentially if you had ranked choice, right? And and I've seen that. But, I mean, I think the, the other thing, though, that, like, there's many other changes that come out of ranked choice that I think you, you should be aware of is that it changes the tone of your politics completely. And here's why, is that, like, I would say America, like, American politics is a shock for me. Like, I moved here three years ago, and, like, everything, it's just about destroying your opponent. Like, just, oh, yeah. just <laughs> like, absolute laying waste to them. Like, dig up the most egregious personal stuff you can, make stuff up. Like, it's just horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Australia, because you need your, like obviously you'll have your primary rival, right? And but you there's many other people, like the small parties in particular, you need their voters to support you, right? You need them to rank you to get over over the line. So what do you what do they do? They they're nice to each other, right? Mm-hmm. They're nice to each other. And 
they um and even and that that changes the whole tone of everything like it's politics in australia is just less destructive because they're required to not only be nice to each other but to trade policy with each other so so and i've worked closely with parties with small parties um independents and advocacy organizations by the way which i'll get to in a moment who have like like they only exist to lobby the major parties they only run candidates solely for the purpose of lobbying larger parties using ranked choice. They'll be like, okay, well, vote one for our candidate, obviously, if we're the voluntary euthanasia party, for example, which is an actual party. Um, we know we're not going to win, right? But we're going to go into a close seat where the two, there's two major parties. We're going to, um, and we're going to lobby both of them, right? And whichever one adopts the strongest version of the policy we advocate will get will tell our voters to put them as number two. Mm. And and so, and that's happened. So I've, in fact, I've seen some work with small parties who've gotten both major parties to adopt some version of their policy position, right? Um, and I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but this thing called a how to vote card. Yeah, I think I did mention that earlier. Mm -hmm. So you every candidate will issue that and there'll be like one, vote one for me, but vote two, three, four, five, six for the other. Um, other candidates um, and in Australia we have mandatory rankings so you have to like in that the single member ones in the house ones you have to rank all every candidate or your vote doesn't count I don't advocate for that system but that's what we have there I think the American versions are better but where you could choose how many you want to rank but in Australia you've got to rank them all what happens then is that these cards the negotiations because all essentially determine election outcomes Right. And so um, advocacy organizations will go in and issue these how to vote cards. They're like like an endorsement, right? Here. Mm -hmm. But they'll they'll do they'll ne negotiate with the major parties, well with every party, small parties, major parties, independents, see who where they stand on policy and say if you support, let's say you're climate change activists, right? If you to vote climate vote one for the you know the green party two for the progressive party three for the labor party four for this independent so forth right and in a close race that can make all the difference right so advocacy organizations smaller parties get so much power under the system mm -hmm. right and the, so the tone of your politics changes power is given to to voters you know through telling choice power is given to smaller voices to, um, who can just you know community voices um everything about it is just better a hundred percent collaboration and not as much competition i believe personally i'm all about coalition building there's mm -hmm. a lot of coalition building that happens behind the scenes especially with direct actions and protest movements like the anti-war movements are really starting to become rejuvenated in the united states again which is good there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes where Lots of people are putting their differences aside. And I think that's why we need to do things. We're not going to agree on every single issue, but that's a lot of issues that multiple um, party, different affiliated people agree on. And it's like, if you just stop focusing on the tribe aspect of it and focus more on, do I care about this issue? This person does too. It doesn't matter what affiliation they're a part of. Like, why can't we work on this together? and work as a country together and get things, you know, done. And like you said, civility is a really important thing, you know, just 
that that discourages voter turnout. It discourages people in believing in, in the system when all they see are people just screaming and fighting all the time in the chamber. Yeah, and interesting you mentioned coalition building because I um, what I did in Australia was there was a lot of small um, parties that had a, uh, a progressive tilt, and I, I was working closely with them for a while. In what they did is they had a, a rule amongst themselves is that we all have to preference or rank each other first, right? So it was a block, and we it doesn't matter who you rank first or in what order in the block. And that was a process of negotiation. But everyone inside this block must be ranked above everyone outside the block. And then I, I represented them as a block to the major parties for policy negotiation and ranking negotiation and things like that. So we were able to use ranked choice voting to multiply our power significantly as a group of smaller, smaller voices. Um, and we, you know, we would get our policies adopted regularly, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because they needed our vote. If there's nothing idealistic about it, they just need they needed our supporters' ranks. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Howie Hawkins, um, who is part of the Green Party, he talked about how he got Cuomo when he was still in New York. He got him to basically concede to some of their demands because he had enough of a presence at the state level. <laughs> And somehow his policy was able to influence the Democratic Party in that instance. So you do you do see that sometimes um, um, here, but not on the same scale, I think, as Australia. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I think the risk here that people are starting to see is that if people get too disenfranchised by politics, then they just will stay at home, right? I mean, some will vote third party or like, well, well if someone votes third party or stays at home, then if you're a major party, that's that's a risk for you, right? So, and that's happening on both sides now, right? So I think mm -hmm. that's why the, a lot of the majors um, are starting to see, hang on, we, you know, we can't keep disenfranchising people with this system. That's why we've got to improve. So that's why I'm, opt I'm optimistic, like, is that I think that even, like, people I talk to, I talk to, you know, my work, I'm talking to major, major parties all the time, and they see this. They see the sense in these arguments. That's why, um, you know, it's it's against their interest to have people staying at home or voting third party and not being able to collect that vote, right? So this is why we will get change. You know, it's inevitable. I would say at this point. And I tell you, I like to guess put the facade on, you know, for the crowd sometimes because. I my whole thing, I was telling the, a person I interviewed yesterday, Jay Clark, I was telling them my whole thing is 50% pessimism, 50% optimism. You know, I kind of base it on the situation. But the more I hear about this and, and talking to you and the information that I'm getting, it does give me more hope than I had before about electoralism. It does. But um it's crucial to have this information. And you've answered like all my questions like in a very concise way. And I think people just need that information so they can make better decisions and inform people about this. You know, there are other alternatives than what we're doing. Like, we don't have to be in a limbo. We can actually do something about our situation. It may not change overnight, but at least the mental current is going in the right direction. And to me, that's just as important as the physical, you know, going and voting for people, the psychological aspect of it, which is demoralized a lot of the populace here because of the system that we have. I, I do have three more questions before you go, and I think I can get them in. But um, 
I did have a question about the ranked choice. Um, is that like a quota? Because when you say ranked choice, what determines how many people are on that list? Because where's the cutoff when you say all the people on the ranked choice voting list? Is it 20 candidates, 30 candidates? And okay. how do you cut them off? Okay, so it depends on which of those three, you know, I mentioned those three systems. It depends which of those systems you have. So in a, in the single member, it's, it's as many people nominate, as many people nominate. So if like, let's say in Australia, like I, I ran for the seat of Strathfield, right? Um, and the, it was, you could only have one, you know, and, and there was only so many state registered parties right and so you had to be a registered state party and um to run or an independent and then uh, and each rep party can only have one person right so um i think we had about six or seven but technically we could have had an infinite number of independents you know but I, that just hasn't been a problem right um we, you, know, you could technically have like 400 people right you know there's there's but it just, I've just never seen that happen. I think the most I've ever seen was like 12 in a sing that single member. Now, on proportional representation, like in our Senate, we famously have had a lot, right? In fact, we had, because the smaller parties and independents have a much better shot under proportional representation, um, they will run. And so we had like, and because it's statewide, it's not just your small area statewide you'll get these gigantic senate ballots it's kind of a joke where a famous joke in australia like the the senate ballot is as long as a cvs receipt like that's how we explain it to <laughs> americans right it's like it's like this like you can't even see it on the screen but it's really long it's arm to arm and you have to like fold it up three times before you put it in the slot and um so there are there's no limit there either because lots of groups could run as an independent and like as many as want to and there's currently 40 parties there used to be like 60 or even 80 parties at one point then you know and, and because it was so easy to start a party you had a lot of you had some joke parties around you had a party called the coke and the bubblers party which meant like <laughs> well, it was like i think it's called it's called a water fountain here and their only policy was to put coca-cola in the water fountain <laughs> so, uh, so so what i'm saying is that you had like you, like you can have gigantic ballots um, under under that. Under Final Five, the Alaska model, in the jungle primary, those will be big, right? Um, especially if it's a statewide race. That's why there's 60 people running in that open primary, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's no limit on that at all. Um, the, the, I mean, the limit that is placed is that there's often a fee to run, right? So that's, that's the limit. Um, but... But, you know, once past the primary, there's only four or five people, right? It's final four or final five mm -hmm. in that, in that. So that, that, that is, that is a self-created limit, but, but yeah, technically in, and, but, but you, it's just, that's also a problem that exists under our current system in the US is that as many people want to, can run as want to run, um, but people don't because it's, it's a fee. And unless you're going to take it seriously, it's not worth the fee you know mm -hmm. um so but i don't think that's i wouldn't say that's ever been a huge problem anywhere like yeah except that australian senate where we just have those giant ballots that you know we we deal with it <laughs> referring to your luke parsher interview like you've done mm -hmm. several interviews with him but 
there was one instance in particular where you talked about um, your organization. That's going to be my final question, learning a little bit more about Ring to Vote. Um, so hypothetically, the last election, if we had a ranked choice voting system in the Democratic primary, Biden wouldn't even have been a choice. I think based on the initial popularity, because I think Bernie had already won the first three contests in the primaries. And I think mm -hmm. at the time, Biden's popularity was very low. I think he was polling seven, like pretty consistently, like early on. So under a ranked choice voting system, how would it have looked with Bernie being one and maybe Warren being with, within the top three? I think Buttigieg was pretty high up. How would that happen? Would those people be dropped off after the, the fifth person? Yeah, I mean, it depends because right, each state would have its, like, let's say we had a ranked choice system, a universal one, right? Each state would have its own ranked choice system, right? And what happened? So what would have happened? Actually, I think it, um, and I, I worked for Bernie Sanders in the in the in that primary, right? But I think that a you had a lot of centrist candidates running, right? And they all oh, yeah. pulled, they actually probably they would have I I actually think they would have benefited from a ranked choice, the centrist candidates, because what would have the well actually no, okay. There's two interpretations of this of, of what could have happened. And we remember we're looking state by state here. So under a, without looking at the data, um, the centrist candidates would have benefited from a ranked choice system because you'd think that like Klobuchar and Buttigieg and, uh, well, I know they didn't like each other very much, but they, they, you know, their policy positions were terribly dissimilar or, or Biden, you would think that their voters would all rank each other and they would, um, you know, and they would boost each other above a progressive Right. So that's that's the, the you know, without looking at the data, when you actually did look at the data. Bernie was the second choice of a lot of candidates. Like, like voters. Voters. Yeah, a lot of the voters. So mm -hmm. so so really what would have happened is that they probably would have put like Biden one, Bernie two or Amy one and, you know, Amy Klobuchar one, you know, Bernie two or whatever. What, you know, um, or and Pete Buttigieg voters too, you know, like. Pete one, Bernie two, and then you add them to um, the people who put Bernie one, which is obviously quite a lot, and then he probably that probably would have taken him over the line um, in individual states. Um, you know, obviously there was a whole other dynamic there, um, which you know when um, like the th other centrist candidates dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden, which I think you know and they did that to avoid vote splitting, but. The, I think the effect of the endorsements is more mm -hmm. like sending our, it was like, if you think of that in almost in ranked choice terms, it's like saying, well, don't vote for us, send your one to to Joe Biden, right? So in which case that, that was enough to kind of crowd out Bernie Sanders at that point. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about the South because the media plays a lot into this. They obviously wanted the establishment guy in at the time. But Bernie probably would have gotten second place in a lot of those Southern state contests that they kept saying Bernie can't get black supporters in the South and all this crap, which I know was a lie completely because he had advantages when it came to young voters and certain demographics. He had very big advantages. So 
considering his weaknesses, he still probably would have gotten second place finishes under a range tour system um, compared to, you know, what he would have done under traditional system. And he still would have been a viable and probably the number one candidate considering all 50 states. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, I think, and but it's important to, uh, to to be clear that ranked choice doesn't benefit any ideology or candidate. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, um, as I said, the, the only winner out of ranked choice is the voter and whatever their preferences are. So in that particular election, looking at the data, it looks like Bernie was probably overall the preferred candidate, right? And so ranked choice would have rewarded him accordingly. Um, but I think there are other other places, like if, Let's let's play a different um, version of play that same thing out, but different. Let's say the candidates had really like it was ranked choice, and the candidates knew how to do that properly, and they managed to persuade their voters. They said, "Look, um, you know, let's say they said Bernie can't get elected, right?" And they managed to persuade their voters, saying, "Look, you should really rank the other more moderate or centrist candidates as our two, three, four. and they did a successful job persuading that then they would have been able to take advantage of that of ranked choice system to get what they want there because if they'd managed to consolidate but persuade their voters to do the same, mm. right? So I'm, what I'm saying is that it's the system itself is neutral, but it's, and it just rewards voters, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and it expresses their true preference. But there are things you can do to, to take advantage of the system and like, and and or not take it to do well in that system, like things like build coalitions. Like what I just described is if the centrists had built a proper coalition with each other, um, under ranked choice system, they would have been able to crowd him out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so things like coalition building are strongly rewarded, strongly rewarded in a ranked choice system. Um, you know, just literally just being nice to each other. I think the reason why Sarah Palin probably lost in Alaska was because she didn't know how to use the system properly she just said like you know only vote one for me and don't rank anyone else that's what she said which is the, the worst thing you can do right mm-hmm. if she had built a proper coalition with baggage they could have crowded out um Peltola. Mm-hmm. you know so so playing nice is heavily rewarded mm-hmm. coalition building heavily rewarded you know so so that's that's what I, I, I would love your, your viewers to come away thinking is that the system doesn't benefit any ideology, but it does benefit all of us, right? Mm-hmm. By, the, by the net effect of it. Yeah, that's a big mindset um, adjustment, and, and it's one that needs to, to happen, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And and just that comment you made um, about you know the fairness of the system with the range towards voting. There's just so much more that I want to ask about that but maybe we can say that for another interview down the road we can't although i've still got a couple of minutes if you do but want to ask one more i do want to talk about um rank the vote some you know i didn't want uh-huh. to be all about that but i do want my audience to know what rank the vote is and what are some of the objectives of that organization sure so rank the vote is a um is a, a grassroots leadership development organization and um and our goal is to build the the ranked choice voting movement up, right? And I think that it's a combination of so as as we you you asked earlier about how do we get this thing passed everywhere, right? It's it comes down to to people, right? It comes down to us becoming activists, becoming 
community oriented and rank the vote is how you do it. So we have state chapters. I think we work with, I mean, as I said, there's ranked choice voting activity in like all but five states currently, right? So, and rank the vote works with over half of those, right? Those mm -hmm. states. Um, and what we, and what we try and do is get our state groups to, um, we train them on getting people, money and endorsements, right? So how do we get volunteers who can, you know, go and educate other people about ranked choice voting, who can build a movement, who can lobby their um, their legislators? How do we fundraise to build a movement, especially if they've got a campaign coming up? And how do we get endorsements from other civic organizations and community groups as well? So an example of what they might do in that is that we have, they have a, a speakers bureau in, in their state. Each state chapter has a speakers bureau, which will go out and talk to everyone, they, every civic organization they can about ranked choice voting um, and then get them to endorse the concept. Um, and so really it's it's very much about that grassroots level and that mm -hmm. with a build up towards local like city or statewide campaign. So, so as to how we do it, that's exactly how you do it. Join, go to rankthevote.us and and join your local chapter and get involved. All right, that's that's the key. That's how you get it locally, right? Because they're they're the leaders in building the movement up. And how long has this been an organization? Yes. Yeah, so rank the vote itself is actually very new. It's been around since twenty nineteen. Um, but and they they've launched a huge number of chapters in like something like twenty two chapters in just a few years. Um, before that, though, the reason is that, um, and my my um, previous organization that I was working with, the Fair Vote. So Fair Vote has been around for like thirty years, and they're a think tank and an advocacy organization as well. Um, and they've they've got incredible research, right? And they're sort of the um, they're the, they're the thought leaders of the movement. Um, and so they built up a lot of chapters as well over the years. So, um, and so yeah, they've. I think they'll found it. Yeah, maybe maybe in the, in the early nineties, Fair Vote was founded. Yeah, and you all collaborate on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. So because I actually just moved over from from Fair Vote to to rank the vote, um, and I in fact I'm currently in the Fair Vote office. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, so so we 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 we're, we're very very close partners. Yeah. Um, because and it's just it's just a different focus, you know. So rank the vote is more. Uh, we work more about is building up um, state chapters um, and building up a movement. Uh, whereas fair vote is increasingly focused on like on research um, and being thought leaders and and you know working with the national media things like that. Well, I tell you, I don't want to keep this going any longer because I know you have places to go and I do too. But I do have lots of other questions based on just the last ten minutes because I didn't even really want to ask about the lobbying and stuff, because I really want to focus more on just the process of how ranked choice voting works. And um, I think it may be beneficial if I invite you back on, maybe we can have like some kind of a workshop to where people can practice like a ballot. You know, I think people have issues just filling out a, a simple ballot and just understanding the options of, of, on, on the ballot when they see it. And so I think that that would be really beneficial to sort of have diagrams and, you know, showing how the system works. 
I, I can do that because we've got this technology online and I, we can, I can put a link together, put a vote. We've regularly, actually, I should have, maybe I should have done that for today, was is a thing called Rank It. Well, there's a few, there's quite a few, there's online tools you can use. We can put a vote. Sometimes we'll vote on who do you think is going to win the Oscar, um, best picture, oh. for example, or, or favorite ice cream or whatever. And then we can do a live vote and then show show you how it works. So, yeah, I wish I'd thought of that before. We can do that on the next time. Next time, No doubt. That sounds good. But okay. anyway, Vinay, I appreciate you accepting the invitation. And um, that makes us feel good, knowing that you are open to a second invitation down the road. And... I think the audience would definitely benefit from that. And that's what we promote on this forum is, um, and I'm not completely against like bringing on people from the major parties, but it's really, if you follow the episodes, you see that I deliberately get people who are working outside of that system because this is a way to kind of coalition build outside of that because we need to focus more on um, the people who don't have as much representation as so that they can build their representation from the bottom up. And I think that's what we need to do together. And um, working with the Libertarians, the Greens, um, several independents that I've had on the forum. And again, I just think that sometimes that the DNR maybe with the lobbying influences may not have the best interest of the minor parties, at least in this system that we're under now just based on the corruption aspect and where the money goes and stuff. But that's why I didn't get into that stuff because it can be a little bit more muddy. And this focuses more on the process as opposed to the personalities and what goes on behind the scenes that may not be as satisfying. But maybe we can talk a little bit more about that later down the road, the lobbying and how that works. I'd love to. I'd love okay. to. Okay. Well, I appreciate oh. it. Do you have any other departing words or anything? I know you've already plugged in um, how people can contact you in case they had a question for you. Do you have any departing words? Uh, no, just I, well, simply that uh, we hope to see you involved very soon. Um, please, please do get involved because it's not going to happen by itself, right? It's only going to happen uh, through people coming together, forming communities, you know, and then set, and being determined to, to change the system. And, Yes, my last thing is that it's very possible we can do this, right? We're already doing it, mm -hmm. right? As I said, we've from 10 to 62 municipalities in the space of a few years. Next year could be the biggest year ever, correct? In fact, pro probably will be. It probably will be. So, but we can't do it without you. So we hope you get involved. 100%. On that note, um, beautiful people, I hope you've enjoyed this interview. Interview 23 will be in store tomorrow and you'll have a great rest of the week and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Vinay, again for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye.